Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. How many of you realize that failure is something that is inherent in us all? None of us in this room can claim never to have failed or to think that we wouldn't fail in the future. It's inherent in human beings. If you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you see a picture of failure. Adam failed and failed to obey God. Cain failed to honor his parents and God and ended up murdering his brother. And then God starts again with Noah, but Noah ends up on his ear with new wine. And it's a record of repeated failures as we go further. Abraham takes the maid and uh, he doesn't honor God's promise and trust the Lord. Moses freaks out and uh, loses his temper and murders somebody. Failure, it speaks all the way through in the New Testament. Probably the most famous failure is Simon Peter. He is both rock and he is both wishy-washy. That's why the name is used together. And he fails Jesus, the leader of the 12, three times he denies the Lord. How many of you realize we have a long list of failures in the Bible? They're there to encourage us, not to say, oh, well, we all fail. We just give up. No, it points to us that failure, even the most beautiful man in the New Testament, Barnabas, who sold a field, the son of encouragement, the Bible says in Galatians, that even he was led astray by hypocrisy. Sad thing. There's a strength in us, but then there's also that fragility. And we're almost twofold, and we must know how to move through failure, how to recover from failure. Many people fail, and then they stay down. They leave the church, they they backslide, they embrace atheistic teaching because it soothes their conscience, but we must know how to recover. Uh, The late Pastor J. Wallace Hamilton, the author as well, he said this, and I think it's profound. He says, people are training for success when they should be training for failure. Failure is far more common than success. Poverty is more prevalent than wealth. And disappointment more normal than arrival. Gosh, we fail in our deeds, we fail in what we say. Isn't that true? Let me just emphasize this a bit. James chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways. Look at your wife or your husband and nod. Don't nod at them like, yeah. (laughs) Nod with amen, that's me. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Remember that when you're having marriage conflict. You are just as imperfect as the person you're pointing out. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 7, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You see, what we have to learn to do is we've got to learn to overcome or get through failure, or it'll do two things. Number one, it'll defeat us, but the second thing is it'll define us. God doesn't want you defeated or defined by failure. He wants you to overcome and recover from failure. So I want to speak to you this morning on recovering from our failures, not my, our failures, because we all fail. Isn't that the truth? And the devil wants to use failure to lock us in and bring us into bondage. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, The Screwtape Letters, vividly describes Satan's strategy for our lives. 
He says he gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures. From then on, the battle is won. Isn't that the truth? I feel I'm a failure. I become preoccupied with my failure, and it sucks the life out of us. It sinks us into depression, can even cause us to give up. And uh, God wants us to move forward. He wants us to recover because he's the God of new beginnings. This is a year of new beginnings. This is a day of new beginnings. We must learn how to move forward or it will defeat us and define us. Jensen Franklin, in talking about how the enemy works, said this. He said, the celebrity gossip industry rakes in over $3 billion a year because we live in a world that thrives off of sensational stories of failure. The enemy wants to use your mistakes to mock you but God can use them to make you. Isn't that beautiful? If you let them, the people around you will define you by your failures. Don't be held hostage by your bad choices. Your failure is not final. See, failure can come to anyone. It is no respecter of persons. It comes to the poor and to the rich, the clever and the stupid. It can happen in business, it can happen in marriage, it can happen in every area of your life, your financial area of life, but the, the, the greatest danger is when it happens spiritually, then our eternal destiny is at stake. We must know what to do. So I'm going to give you five things today, which is the uh, number of man's weakness. You know, six is the number of man, seven is the number of God, five is one less than six, it's the number of man's weakness. And we'll look at five things. I will, as I always do, expand on two of the points and give you subpoints with other subpoints under those subpoints. No, I won't. <laughs> I'm just telling you where I'm going so that you can prepare. But we must know how to overcome and recover from failure. In fact, John Maxwell says this before I give you point number one. He says, a person must be big enough to admit her or his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. By God's help, I trust today that we'll be strong enough to correct them, and not just have knowledge, but the strength to overcome. Number one, the first thing we need to do when we failed, how do we recover? We have to admit our failure. Admit your failure. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Isn't that interesting? But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. He gets a new beginning. And uh, when we admit our mistakes, we usually from God find forgiveness and a second chance. People are often very gracious to forgive us. And uh, we can be restored and we can experience blessing. Probably the greatest example of that in the Bible is Luke chapter 15, where the prodigal son who had failed, failed his father, failed his family, he rose up and he went back and admitted his mistakes. I want to read it to you because some of us need to make these confessions, not just think these things. It's one thing to think, I'm sorry. It's one thing to think, I messed up my marriage. Nothing to go to your partner and to say it to them. It takes a lot of courage. And in counseling, we often find that people are stubborn, but we've got to admit our mistakes. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal says this before he even goes home. He, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. 
Can I suggest to you today that you can do this right here today? You can say this, you can get up and go to your father and you can find forgiveness because we don't just sin against people. The Bible says we sin against heaven. Heaven's values, heaven's thinking, heaven's ways. And he who sits on the throne, the father with the son at his side, we sin against them. You can, you can turn your life around today if you would be willing to go back and to admit your failure. James tells us here that we can recover. He says, admit your faults to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The key to recovery is admission. Number two, don't label yourself a failure. See, failure is an event, not a person. Are you with me? Failure is an event, not a person. In fact, failure is an event, not an identity. We need to realize that. And we can have so much going for us, and when we fail, we label ourselves a failure. You're going to go through your whole life failing until the day you die. In fact, probably the hardest thing about life is knowing that even though you're older, especially when you get to my age, you start to, you start to think, I should be perfect by this age, but you're not. You will constantly make mistakes until you go and be with the Lord, and you need to know how to recover from them. Otherwise, they can drag you down, make you miserable, can even change your face. Have you noticed how you meet some older people and I know gravity makes us look sad. It pulls here and oh, Lord Jesus, I so look forward to my new body. But some people's faces have got etched on them because they've labeled themselves failures. Now you need to start looking at the good things in your life, not just the one thing that you struggle with. When I think of this, I think of the man in the Bible called Naaman. And uh, he had so much going for him. And we need to sometimes realize that although we are failures in some areas of our lives, there's a lot else going for us. Now, don't try and smother your failure, but don't label yourself a failure. In 2 Kings 5 and verse 1, it says this, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Isn't that the truth of us? There's a but. And the but can sometimes be bigger than everything else. But don't label yourself a failure. So easy to, be, to feel like you're a, lo a loser. Here's, here's what happens to us. When other people are successful, sometimes we feel like losers. Your neighbor buys a new car. Suddenly you look at your old car and you're, I'm a loser. No, you're not. Always remember this. He might be buying on credit. Probably is. Unlike the wise people at Rivers Church, he's buying it on extended payments. Every month when he looks at that, stable, <laughs> and your old car is stress-free. Things are not what they seem. Don't let the success of others make you feel or label yourself a failure. Think of this, when a marathon is run, only one person can win the marathon. Are all the rest losers? Even the person who drags themselves across the line, what is it in the, in, in, in the comrades? What's the cutoff point? Eight hours, is it? Is it? Twelve? Twelve hours, somewhere around there. That person who comes across, everyone's waiting. Yeah! And usually they're like... <laughs> but see, it's not just the person who wins. It's he who finishes the race. Isn't that true? Ralph Waldo Emerson, the... American thinker and poet said this. He said, the greatest glory in living lies not in never failing, but in rising every time we fail. 
See, failure is not something we do. Uh, sorry, failure is something we do. It's not something we are. And we've got to be careful that it doesn't get into us and that we start labeling ourselves. You know, you, you, if your failure is big, people will end up labeling you. They'll label you a fraudster. They'll label you an adulterer. They'll label you a crook or whatever it is. We've got to be careful that we keep coming to God for forgiveness. Admit our mistakes. I have failed, but I'm not a failure. The grace of God can help me. And Peter failed, and uh, Jesus went to restore him, and we'll look at that a little bit later. And uh, he moved forward from his failure. Uh, the danger is, is that when you put on, it's like you clothe yourself with failure, that you label yourself it's like a branding, that you have a problem. Zig Ziglar, the late Zig Ziglar, said this, you cannot climb the ladder of success dressed in the costume of failure. Admit it, don't label yourself. Number three, examine why you failed. See, it's one thing to fail, but you've got to know why. If you don't know why, you generally will do this. You'll blame someone else. Blame the boss, blame the government, blame the church. It's like when you come late to church and the gates are locked. Admit your failure. Don't label yourself a failure. Come on time next week and tell yourself, it's because I didn't get up early enough. It's not because the senior pastors or the staff at Rivers are evil people. Don't use F words. You see, when you know why you... It's that simple, church. When you admit it, when you understand why, you retrace your steps. Don't immediately say it was the devil. No. Simon Carruthers, who's an author, says life is a series of outcomes. Sometimes the outcome is what you want. Great. Figure out what you did right. Sometimes the outcome is what you don't want. Figure out what you did wrong. So you don't do it again. You remember the story of the prophets in the book of 2 Kings where they were busy working as Christians, if you like, as men and women of God, the school of the prophets, and someone failed. And I'll pick it up in 2 Kings 6. It says, they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. It came off the handle. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. And the man of God didn't say, oh, yeah, you're in deep yogurt now. No, the man, of asked, the man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man of God reached out his hand and took it. You see, you've got to go back and retrace your steps. You can't just look in the mirror in the morning and go, Look at my body. Get behind me, Satan. Now you've got to retrace your steps. Because if it was that Krispy Kremes that you got carried away, you've got to make the connection. Someone's being helped today. So here, here, here are 10 places we can look quickly to see where we could have failed. And I want to help you here just to think because I could just leave it there, but we've got to examine why we failed. So here are 10 possible places. Number one, you're not gifted enough. Sometimes you fail because you're not gifted enough. You're in the wrong area. You're not suited or graced for what you're trying to do. And so you keep, you, you might be very good at a particular profession, but you're not good at running a business in that profession. I know people who are incredible in a certain field, but then when they try and open a business, it's a disaster. 
you, you know, if you keep, they say this, if you keep hitting your head against the wall, look for the door. But I'm trusting God and I rebuked the devil and I marched around our business premises. No, you failed because you're just not gifted enough for that. Number two, you're not educated enough. That means, doesn't mean you haven't been to school. It just means you don't have, you, you're ignorant. You lack certain wisdom in a certain area. Could be because of drugs and alcohol dulling your mind and your body. Could be because you haven't been to school and maybe in your field you need some formal education. You might be gifted, but you, you don't know enough. You've got to get the right input. And sometimes we don't, we don't want to admit that we don't know what we don't know. And you've got to make changes. You see, here's the thing, church. Passion isn't enough. Because otherwise you will eventually burn out because you'll keep trying. I'm going to get it right. God's on my side. I can do it. I rebuke you, Satan. And everybody thinks you're a nutter because you just keep trying harder. No, no, you, you need some wisdom. Someone tells you something, you're like, aha. You Prather is an author, and he said this. He said, just when I think I've learned the way to live, life changes. Isn't that true? Number three, we're not humble enough. Maybe you're not humble enough. We don't ask for advice. Or we're rebellious when we're given advice. Maybe in your marriage you're failing right now because you're not humble enough to admit that you have a part to play in the marriage. Yes, but I can list three things and she can only list one thing. Ooh, no, no, what about the one thing? Humble yourself, take input, listen to our pastors when they counsel you and correct you. Don't sit with your arms folded or I'm not coming back next week. I know it happens in other churches, but I thought I'd just mention it here. A lot of marriages don't work for one simple reason, stubbornness. Jesus said it's because of hardness of heart that Moses wrote a, a writ of divorce. Not humble enough. You need to get advice. In fact, in business, Proverbs 20, plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. Go and learn. Number four, is this helping anyone? We're not prepared enough. That's the reason why we fail. We're not prepared enough. You've you got to be prepared when you go into business, when you go into a marriage, you've got to be prepared. A lot of people think that passion is enough. I love her. She loves me. We can't wait. I know you can't wait. That's the problem. You need to get prepared. Why do you fail as a Christian? It's because you don't understand the armor of God. You've never learned about it or put it on. You accepted Jesus in the meeting. You love the music. You love the teaching. You love this building. You're caught up in all that, but you're not prepared for what will happen. Jesus, straight after he was baptized, was tempted by the devil. Some people are not ready for it. Then they fall away. What happened? You came to church. You put your hand up. You got baptized. What's happened to you? You weren't prepared. Number five, you're not experienced enough. That's why you fail. And a lot of the time, we are new at something and we fail. We need to learn and gain some experience. True in marriage, true in business, true in the Christian life, true of driving. Just have one bad accident that puts you out of pocket. You will learn how to drive quickly. It happened to me. I had a Volkswagen Combi, and I never had an accident, and I'm, I'm quite a vigorous driver, to put it mildly. And a guy stopped in front of me when I was 19 or 20, and stopped in front of me and at a heel sign, and, and I looked back, and no cars were coming, and I started driving. That person had not pulled away yet. 
bah, and I had to pay them off. The insurance company contacted me, he sent me that legal document, and then I had to arrange terms of payment with interest. It was about 21 rand a month. You're all laughing, eh? But 21 rand a month was two-thirds of my rent that I paid in the flat that we lived in. You quickly learn how to drive. Come on now. Experience. Hmm? And experience can change everything. I was reading about back in 1978 at the Laney High School in Wilmington, North Carolina, there was a 15-year-old boy who wanted to desperately be on the school basketball team and Every time he tried out, they told him, no, you can't, no, you can't, you're not good enough. He couldn't hit the hoop, he couldn't get the ball through the net, and he just didn't demonstrate the necessary skills. But what a lot of people didn't realize after he was asked to step off the basketball team was that he decided to gain some experience and see if he really was gifted for it. So he kept on and kept on and kept on, and eventually Michael Jordan emerged to become one of the greatest basketball players the world has ever known because of some experience. Number six, you're not strong enough. Maybe that's why you failed. You've got a weak will. You need to learn how to strengthen your will, how to say no, how to keep your mouth shut, not just when talking. It's not what only comes out, it's what goes in. Amen? And failing health is often not genetics or some mystery or the devil. It's simply, we're not strong enough to stop eating. <laughs> See, when you get into financial difficulty, the economy turn. No, you are not strong enough to manage your finances. You've got to keep track of the sense. I'm also surprised sometimes when I go and look. Huh? Then I forgot, oh, that debit came off. And as you get to my age, the insurance debits become big because the chance of you dying is high. <laughs> so before it used to be like one or two thousand, you know, it wouldn't make much, that much difference. Now it suddenly becomes 15,000. That debit comes with you. Someone stole my money. You've got to keep track. Otherwise you get caught unawares. Am I making sense today? Simple things, but they can help us. And we need to strengthen. Number seven, we're not wise enough. That's why often we fail. We are naive. And we've got to learn to discern. You can end up in some of the biggest failures of your life by not discerning the people you mix with. And I spoke about it last week, into judge or not to judge. So important that the influences in our lives are correct. You've got to look at the right source. And don't think that people are just lucky to be successful. Now, there's a wisdom. And no one's just born wise. How many of you know Warren Buffett? Heard of Warren Buffett? Probably the most successful investor in the world. But what very few people know is that Warren Buffett learned all his investment advice from a man called Benjamin Graham. And Benjamin Graham mentored him. And his book, The Intelligent Investor, is what caused Warren Buffett to be so successful. But here's the sad thing. The man, Benjamin Graham, failed many times and lost lots of money. And then wrote the book, which Warren Buffett could just read, and glean. If you want to be wise, get a book. It's amazing how many people don't read. And I say to people who buy my books in the foyer, and this is not a promotion of my books, if you buy my book, you can take me home with you. <laughs> You'd never be able to meet this guy, Benjamin Graham, but you could take him home with you. Become wiser, not have to fail. 
Number eight, you're not responsible enough. That's why you failed. You didn't take responsibility in your marriage. You didn't listen to counseling. You didn't keep track of your finances. You allowed yourself to get into debt. You were lazy, if you're honest. And laziness is a massive challenge. It's natural for us to be lazy. We blame others, but we've got to take responsibility. Number, number nine, is this helping? Yeah. Not learning enough. See, you've got to learn from your failures and your mistakes. Otherwise, you repeat them. If the first time a man who was hunky and was persuasive and gave you that twinkle and that look and took you to Tasha's and sat across the table, if the first time he conned you and you ended up falling pregnant and he didn't marry you and he abandoned you, the second time around you need to be sitting in Tasha's going, forget about the food. <laughs> Otherwise trouble cometh exceedingly quicker. Trouble cometh exceedingly quicketh. 2 Timothy 3.7 talks about women who are easily influenced by men who are wayward in the church. And it says this, they're always learning and never, to, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Let's not be people like that. Let's say, you caught me once, not going to catch me again. I made that mistake once. I made a fool of myself. It's cost me. It's going to cost me in an ongoing way because some failures do that but it's not going to happen again. I'm going to learn from this. And number 10, this is a surprising one. You might have failed as a Christian. Listen to me today. Ask yourself why. It could be this. You're not surrendered enough. You see, as long as your flesh is alive and not yielded to God, you are susceptible to failing over and over again. You've got to put to death your flesh and give yourself fully to the Lord. Otherwise, the same thing will visit you again and again got to give you all. I don't know, some people think that they could be successful in any area in the Christian life without giving their all, if only. No, it takes your all. For us to be in ministry takes our all. This is not a part-time job. You have to surrender everything. There's a famous violinist who many of you wouldn't even know, Fritz Kreisler, when he was 75, he was playing at a concert and afterwards people came to the stage you know, and there was a fan who came down and uh, there was a lady actually, she said, uh, I'd give my whole life to play like that. And he looked at her and said, I did. <laughs> See, when it comes to falling into sin, to achieving spiritual success, it, it's not just gifting. A lot of people think it's gifting. I can speak. No, it's much more than that, baby. You don't just stand up here and speak. There's a whole life behind it. That is, there's a demand made. And you will not be successful because your gift will take you where your character can't sustain you. Many of you know about the Salvation Army and how successful it was. It was founded by William Booth in the late 1800s. And he was a tremendous man of God, both preached and cared for the poor. He did both. And that's why God used him so greatly and uh, once the evangelist from America, J. Wilbur Chapman, interviewed him and asked him about his success. Uh, this is in 1909 when he was 80 already. And he says uh, he hesitated a second when responding and then got tears in his eyes and then a tear rolled down his cheek. And he said this, he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart, 
and the vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. Do you know why you failed today? It's good for you to think it through and to examine so that you don't do it again. Number four, are you still with me? Don't give up because you failed. Don't give up. Failure is temporary. Giving up is permanent. And I know how hard it is. You can feel like a boxer who, you know, is not in the first round that you throw in the towel. You've gone 10, 12 rounds and you're just like, I, I'm, I just can't anymore. I can't go on in this marriage. I can't go, go on with God. I can't go on in business. I can't go on with these friends. But um, you can't give up. You've got to keep going. And you've got to move forward. It's part of life. People fail at some time. I'm going to give you some reasons this morning here which I think can help you as to why you shouldn't give up. Are you ready? Number one, we won't feel good about ourselves when we give up. You get relief, but you always regress. And you might make an instant decision that relieves the current tension, but later you live with the consequences. Number two, it becomes a habit. Do you know that when you give up, it becomes a habit? That's the second time around, it's like, oh, I've done this before. Hmm? Do you give up on the first marriage when you hear the second marriage? Uh, we have to go for counseling, and I've been through that already. Not going that route again. Been to see Pastor Derek and Carolyn. Been to see Pastor Kaizen. Been to see Pastor Ray. Ah, nah, no more. You can go. You can go. So it becomes a habit. Nothing that we do is weird or strange. It's quite simple. You noticed? That's why this message is simple. Number three, we're allowing the devil to get the glory when we give up. Satan delights in going before God and saying, see your servant. <laughs> when the music's on and there's the latest song that they've seen on the internet, there they jiving, their bottom is wiggling in the seat. But look at them now. They've given up. Number four, we've come too far to turn back. That's why you can't give up when you fail. You've come too far. God is still working in you. He's got plans and purposes for your life. Hmm? Don't throw it all away. You've been a Christian for a year. Oh, you've come too far to turn back. You, you've been baptized in water. You've been coming to church. No, you can get through this. Number five is very important. We could cause others to give up and lose respect for us if we give up. Yeah, but I failed. No, your kids are watching how you deal with crises, how you deal with change, how you deal with difficulty, how you deal with illness. They're watching. You're modeling for them what they could possibly do when they face challenges. Steve Brown is an author and he said this. He said, for every non-Christian who has cancer, a Christian will have cancer so the world can see the difference. For every non-Christian who has a business failure, a Christian will have a business failure so the world can see the difference. Number six, the sixth thing here, why we shouldn't give up when we failed, is our future is still unfolding. It's not over yet. You say, but I've, I've done something so bad. Well, Moses murdered someone, but it it didn't hinder God from using him. David committed adultery and went to God and admitted it and repented and God continued to use him even though there were consequences. A lot of people don't realize this. If you, if you study this topic when you get a chance, and I've got limited time this morning, study the topic of late bloomers. People who in life became very successful when they were in their 50s already. It's more common than success at a young age. That means... You shouldn't give up and you should keep going because your success is further down the road. 
Our future is still unfolding. You all know the famous uh, movie producer or director, Steven Spielberg. Hmm? Made such famous movies as E.T., Jaws, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Saving Private Ryan, um, Schindler's List. His movies grossed $10 billion. You could run this country for 20 years on that money. But he went to the University of Southern California, uh, the School of Film and Television, and uh, he was rejected by them three times. You see, it doesn't matter what the experts say, just keep going. Your future's still unfolding. And you can get the hang of something. Number seven here, quickly, we can handle more than we think. Don't give up because you failed. You can handle more than you think. You're not at your limit yet. But you don't know what I've been through. Uh, you don't know the grace of God and the strength of God. And number eight is probably the most important here as we wrap up this point. And I did warn you about subpoints, didn't I? You could lose your place and your reward if you give up. It's one thing having a temporary failure. It's another thing losing that place in heaven and that reward that God's got for you. Just because you gave up, you've got to keep going. You've got to persevere. Francis Roberts, the author, said, Perseverance is the rope that ties the soul to the doorpost of heaven. Someone said, the greater the desire to quit, usually the greater the reward on the other side. Isn't that true? Number five, as we come to a close this morning, hopefully you've been helped today. Put your failures behind you and move forward. Put your failures behind you and move forward. It's a decision you have to make, and Proverbs 24 warns us or encourages us. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Seven times is a lot of falling, but you can rise again if you put your failure behind you and move forward. John Maxwell has given us so much good advice concerning failure and written some wonderful books on the topic. He says, the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and response to failure. You've got to perceive it correctly. If you label yourself a failure, if you don't know how to move forward, failure will ruin you, cause you to give up, cause you to lose your place and reward, and cause you to throw away your future. We've got to respond correctly. And if you think of two people quickly in the Bible who responded to failure differently, think of how Judas responded to his failure of selling out Jesus, and how Peter responded to his failure of denying Jesus three times. They're not that different in a sense. See, Judas had a breakdown. Peter had a breakthrough. You can have a breakdown because of your failure, or you can have a breakthrough. We have, to, we have to say, I failed, and he can forgive me. Judas gave up. Peter looked up. When Jesus appeared to him, he didn't look down. On the beach, he looks up, and Jesus comes to him in John 21. Jesus cooks a meal on the beach, showing him, hey, I'm not just here to warn you or threaten you or recommission you. This is not a job interview. I'm here to sit and talk to you and hang out with you, even though you messed up. Judas gave up. Peter looked up. Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter received the mercy of God. He took the forgiveness that Jesus gave. Judas lived in condemnation, but Peter lived in celebration of forgiveness. You can either live in condemnation and stay away from church, or you can come to communion service like you did today and celebrate the good things Jesus has done for you. I'm sure many of you are glad. Here's the thing, Judas ended his life in despair. Peter started his life in forgiveness and with new purpose. 
You've got to respond correctly. And you know, the amazing thing is just 50 days after Peter denied Jesus, not a year, just 50 days, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost in front of everybody who knew what he did. And he preaches with power and 3,000 people are saved and baptized. Talk about recovery. See, the way you respond will determine your destiny. Jesus didn't write him, him off. He could have written himself off. The way we respond is incredibly important. And you've got to recognize that God can use us even if we fail. I, I love John Maxwell says, God uses people who fail because there ain't any other kind around. But people are watching to see how we handle our failures, aren't they? And uh, how we initiate our new beginnings. And, and, and we need to realize that the Bible teaches that we can recover, but our response is incredibly important. The last verse here before I begin to wrap up, Micah 7 and verse 8. I love what Micah says after he's failed. He says, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I'm coming back, baby. That's what he's literally saying. And you know, we need to remember today as we wrap up that God has provided for our failure. Right from the beginning of the Bible, he has provided for our failure. Blood sacrifice was instituted to cover over man's failure. In fact, right in the beginning, when, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, God sl uh, slew an animal, shed blood, and covered them with the skins. Then the whole blood sacrifice system was brought about by Moses. Then when men killed men unintentionally, God set six cities of refuge available in the book of Numbers. And then Solomon's temple was built so that we could go there and pray. And Solomon listed, if they do this, if they do that, and they come here and they pray, will you hear from heaven? And so there was a place. But then lastly, Jesus, the Son of God, was sent to remove all sin and to help us in our failure. Beautiful thing. Peter's on the beach and Jesus reaches out his hand with fish in it. He's sitting at a fire and he reaches out. He doesn't say, hey, hey, come eat. Like we would do then we're still looking at the wall. I've got something to say. No, he's, Peter. No, Lord, Peter. He cooked it with his, Jesus. Do you know Jesus was the first chef, master chef? I think he must have cooked that fish perfectly. But he reached out his hand and Peter's response was not to turn away but to rise up and to receive and to turn away from his failure I'll tell you the story and then I'm going to pray with you this morning have you been helped today in February 2023 that's just a couple of months ago in a place called Kalamazoo County a shooter went on the rampage as they do in the United States and uh, fatally shot six people, just randomly went out and just shot people, fatally shot six of them and wounded two. And uh, among them was a 14-year-old girl, her name was Abigail Kopf. Uh, she was in a motor car with uh, someone else and she was shot in the head and her entire skull shattered. So terrible thing, her parents were called to the scene, she was still in the car and uh, they had decided she would be an organ donor and so they came to say their goodbyes and, and they came to arrange for that to happen because she had just been shot and, and declared dead. And so they were sitting there and the mother was standing there holding her hand 
and her father was busy signing the documents on the roof of the car when suddenly she squeezed her mother's hand. Can you imagine that? She squeezed her mother's hand. Well, they were able to get out of that car, get her into the hospital, and uh, they put a plate in her head and reconstructed her skull, and three years later, she is on the mend, and she's, you know, she's, she's doing, um, sorry, three months later, she's doing much better, and she's recovering, and uh, they put her on a ventilator first. Then they began to operate on her, and the ventilator kept her alive while they operated on her, and now she's completely fine. And when I read the story, this is what I thought. Sometimes our lives can be shattered. The devil gets in our heads, and he shatters it, and it's like you're dead. And it's random things. Sometimes it's our own fault. But what Jesus is saying, like Peter, just, just squeeze my hand. And then after you've squeezed his hand, no, no, don't go home and forget about, you need to come back here because this is the ventilator. Years where, shh, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. This is where the word and the Holy Spirit is dispensed until that shattering in your life is completely gone and people look at you and say, I do not believe that happened to you. But you've got to reach out and you've got to squeeze the hand of Jesus. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.